navigating finances as a DACA recipient. That is what's coming up next. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Buenas, buenas. Espero que estén bien. I hope that you are doing well, and I'm so thrilled that you are here with me today. This is Jen Hemphill, your host, and you are here for yet another episode for a special series specifically for Financial Literacy Month, since it is April. And today we have a very special guest, and we are continuing to do this a lo Latino. So you'll see in a little bit why. Now, let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Jen is a Colombian-born, New York City-raised, 27-year-old, working towards financial independence. She was brought to the U.S. before she could formulate a cohesive sentence. Jen became aware of her immigration status in high school as she was trying to fill out a FAFSA form. Now that Jen is older and as a DACA recipient, she aims not to let her immigration status define her financial success. In today's episode, you are going to learn the story behind the penny collection and what it taught Jen, as well as what happened as she was applying for college, which was a huge turning point in her life. What financial considerations or challenges DACA individuals have that no one hears about, and her best dinero tip to help navigate finances as DACA. Lista? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Jen, o mi tocaya, como decimos en Colombia, o se dice en otros países. I am so thrilled, like when I say thrilled, I mean thrilled to have you here because I've been watching you on Instagram and what you're doing for the DACA community in terms of like personal finance, it's so needed. So I am honored that you are here. Jen, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> It's exciting. It's definitely exciting for me. Now, let's start. If we can go back in time and with your upbringing and take us back to maybe when you were a little girl or maybe a teenager, something that you saw, experienced that really has had an impact on your personal finances and where you're at today. I mean, I think in general, we don't really think about money as children growing up until we realize that we don't have something, right? Like either, whether it be a toy that your friend has and you don't have it, that's when money starts to really click for you. And for me, that realization happened when my dad lost his job and we started struggling financially as a family. My parents 
were just struggling to pay the rent to find food. And I remember specifically a time where our family had to literally count pennies to be able to buy groceries. So my mom in the house, she keeps like this vase of pennies that when you come into the house, you throw your spare change into. And we were at a point where we just couldn't make things work that we had to count pennies to, to buy groceries. And that became a family event. Like my parents kind of made it into a game to see who can get to a hundred because it was a hundred pennies the fastest. And we would tape them up and like put them back in the vase. And then I remember us going to the supermarket and buying and buying some groceries. And we like brought the pennies to pay the groceries with. And my dad was so ashamed to have to do that, that he made me and my sisters like pay with the pennies. So like for me, that was like when I realized, oh, wow, like normal people don't do this. This is not a game. This is us trying to survive. And just to, to keep going in that time frame, that was like the last little bit of money we had. And my parents had to go to the church for food. And the head of the church, she was my friend's mom. So somehow all my classmates ended up finding out that like we were going to the church for food and just struggling financially. I think I was like nine years old. So imagine I was in the fourth grade and like being talked about like, oh, that's the poor girl. That to me was very memorable. It stuck with me till this day. I can imagine for me, even though before I go into that, I wanted to ask you about how your parents, how you all as a family counted pennies. You mentioned that your dad had shame when they, you went to the grocery store and it came time to pay. But in terms of when you did this as a family, it sounds like you said they made it a game. How was the sense of like the environment? Did it feel like, was there a shame or was there like, let's see how fast we can count the pennies? How did you feel in that moment? Did you feel a sense like your parents were feeling down, shame, guilty? Like, what was that like? I think it was because I was so young, perhaps I couldn't grasp the situation, but it felt like a game. It felt cheerful and it felt like a family activity. I'm sure for my older sister, it may have felt differently just because she was a little bit older than me. So she was probably able to like grasp what was happening. So like, I didn't understand until it was time to pay at the supermarket. Right. And in terms of you in school figuring or finding out or having an understanding or the kids at school finding out that your families were having some financial difficulties, I relate to that only, but in a different way, because I remember, because when we moved from Colombia, I was eight years old. And in elementary school, I knew my parents had some challenges financially. And I remember in elementary school and the lunch line, something that stuck to this day is that you had this little ticket thing that you, I didn't think it was scanning. I don't know, because it wasn't like a laser. In my day, it wasn't a laser. I don't know what it was. And there were different colored tickets. One was for free lunches, one was for reduced, and one was for like paid. And I remember thinking I was on free and I was on reduced at some point. So I guess we were moving up or whatever. But I remember thinking I felt different or I felt, I don't know if secluded is not the right word, but I felt like, oh my gosh, is something wrong with me? Because I'm like, why are you going to have these different tickets? And everybody knows what it is. And I think it was just more internal to me. I don't know 
to this day of the kids were like, oh my gosh, she's on free or reduced lunches. I don't know if it was really like that or it was just internally like, oh my gosh, everybody knows, right? <laughs> so one thing that luckily, since I grew up here in New York City, like free lunch is free lunch for everyone, regardless of where you're at. So for us, it wasn't necessarily free lunch. It was like whether or not you were able to afford the snacks at the vending machine. Mm. That was like, oh, they got money. <laughs> I don't know if vending machines existed. It might. <laughs> I don't recall vending machines. There might have been there, but it might have not been a thing at my school. Oh, my goodness. Now, tell us more about your dad, because you mentioned there was shame involved when he went to the grocery store to pay. But tell us more about their journey, because I know you shared with me there was a time where your dad lost his job. So my dad, at the time, he was a construction worker. So just to give you a little bit more background, like we're a family of five. My dad was a construction worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom who really I only saw work random jobs maybe like once a month. By the time I was eight or nine, my dad just happened to lose his job. Like there wasn't any construction gigs available for him. And that's when things became rough. And I think that's what ultimately led to my parents separating was money. It was definitely like money played a huge role in why my parents split up. And then what happened? So your mom raised you and your sister, right? It's you and your sister as a single mom. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, once my parents were having these money difficulties, it led them to separating. And I distinctly remember my mom and my dad having this conversation about money. And he said, I'm just so tired of being poor. I'm so tired of being poor. And then I did, I just didn't see him. Um, he literally just, just left. There was no explanation to us as to what happened. So my mom had to find a way to make ends meet. So she became a nanny. She became a housekeeper. I rarely saw my mom. She would wake up really early, cook for us, and then we would go to school. And then we wouldn't see her till maybe 11 o'clock at night. And it was like, we were already sleeping. We just would hear the door open. And I was like, oh, like mom's coming home from doing whatever. But she was raising three girls on her own. Yeah, I can imagine. And then let's fast forward. You graduated from high school. You were applying for college. Tell us, what did you find out? I know what you found out. But tell us, those that (laughs) listening, what did you find out when you were applying for college that you didn't know? Up to this point, you had no idea. Yeah, I mean, so my journey in high school, my mom was able to kind of normalize life for us. I didn't feel poor. I didn't feel less than. My mom found a way to make, give us a stable life in terms of finances. So I was a pretty good student. I was on my way to being valedictorian. I was very much about my grades. And junior year, when you apply for like your FAFSA and all that stuff, I needed my social security. So I went to my mom and I was like, hey, like, can I have my social? I need to apply for my FAFSA and all these applications. I need to apply for scholarships. And she's like, the que habla? What are you talking about? I was like, I need my social mom. And she's like, she started laughing. She's like, you know better. I was like, no, no, I don't. And she's like, you don't have that. We're not from this country. So junior year was when I found out that I was undocumented. And that's when things fell apart for me because I realized that school wasn't going to be an option. The only way to go to college if you're undocumented is to pay for everything out of pocket. 
And we were obviously not financially able to do that. So I felt like I was working that whole time, getting all these A's and awesome grades for nothing. I can only imagine what you felt because you felt defeated because you were on the path of valedictorian. And how did this impact the trajectory of your life besides feeling defeated, besides knowing, okay, the financial impact of needing to pay everything out of pocket? What else did you feel or sense or how did it just impact you? Well, Jen, like I felt completely devastated. It literally felt like I was being turned upside down and shaken. And then to make matters worse, it's like you're undocumented and you're told that you can't tell anyone because then you're going to get deported. My mom was like, you can't tell anyone, you can't tell your teachers, otherwise you're going to deport us and split up the family. Because I had a sister, my younger sister's born here in this country, so she is a citizen. It was like, oh, they're going to deport me, my mom, my older sister, and then my younger sister's going to have no one. So it's like, I felt very alone and I felt like, I had no one to turn to. And like, I didn't know, you know, like, I didn't know what to do. And how long did this last feeling alone, not knowing what to do? So I eventually told someone in my school, I went to a teacher and I like, I went to his office and I started crying. I just like, I literally just sat in his office and I started crying. And like, as you could imagine, when I found out that I was undocumented, my grades dropped. So like teachers and and, like friends were concerned. They're like, dude, like, what are you doing? This is the most important year of your high school career. Like, what's going on? And like, I would tell them, oh, like, don't worry about it. It's none of your business. But I think like... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. At the beginning of senior year, I went to this teacher and I started crying and I was like, his name was Jeremy. I was like, Jeremy, I have to tell you something. I don't know what what to do. And I told him, I don't have a social. I can't apply for scholarships. I can't apply for FAFSA. And this was like very, I think early, I think it was like 2010, 2011. So obviously like immigration wasn't as big as a platform as it is now. So he himself didn't have answers for me. So he was like, Jen, like, I'm so sorry. Let me see what I can do. But there was really nothing for him to do at the time. So he like went to our guidance counselor to kind of like check in to see what they could do for me. But they had no response. So this was 2010, 2011. And there was nothing. But now you are a DACA recipient. Tell us about that journey. Because from you, I have learned so much in terms of you know, you're a DACA recipient, but there's also financial implications, financial challenges that a non-DACA recipient wouldn't know. So talk to us about your journey of like, when you became a DACA recipient, how that came to be, the challenges like internally with your mom and having a, a difficult decision to make because of finances. So tell us all of that. Yeah, so... The DACA program came out in 2012, so I had spent a little bit of time being undocumented and having graduated high school. So for me, I had to find a way to kind of figure things out in terms of like how I can assist the family. So I started babysitting. I couldn't afford community college, so there was a year where I just took off 
and I started babysitting and I really wanted to go to school. That was the goal. So I started babysitting to one, help my mom out with bills and then two, just save up for school. And when DACA came out, it was like, yes, it's amazing opportunity, a program that provided us with some lag time to not get deported and then provided us with a work authorization card. The downside was that it was $495 to apply. And then you also had to get like a lawyer and do all this work. And because I was raised by a single mother who was doing random nanny jobs, it was also just so like a rough, like random. We didn't know that this was going to come. It happens so randomly that for my mom, she had to come up with the money really fast. And she essentially came up with only enough for one application and lawyer. So we had to wait extra time to be able to apply just because it was like me and my sister. And it would be unfair if only one of us got it. Like, how could you decide whose life to better and then whose life is going to have to be on pause? I can't even imagine that as a mother myself. And I'm also wondering what went through. Is this something that she shared with you openly? Okay, I've got, you know, there's this opportunity to become a DACA recipient. And I've got this money for the application and the lawyers, but only enough for the both of you. Or is that something that she kept to herself and have just eventually came out? Or how did that work? I think as we got older, like, Once I found out that I was undocumented, my mom was definitely a lot more open about our finances. Like we knew that she made this much money, our rent was this much money. So my mom was definitely open about the fact that she only had enough for one of us. And I think me, my sister and my mom, we decided collectively as a family that we were going to wait until there was enough for the both of us versus only doing one. It makes sense. So you waited until you had that enough, which makes sense. I think I would have chimed in and if it was me and, and the family, but like, let's just wait. <laughs> and eventually you had enough money for you both to become DACA recipients. And I'm also wanting for you to share with us. You mentioned application, the cost for application, which is not cheap. It's not $50, it's $495. You also have to get a lawyer, which... Of course, that's not going to be $50 either. It's hundreds of dollars. I'm not sure how much, but it's a good chunk of money. What are some other financial considerations or challenges that DACA individuals have that we just don't hear about? Jen, I think you have to just think about it from a, like money in general affects so many aspects of our lives. It affects like where you live, what kind of job you have, your relationships, job opportunities. And then throwing our DACA status on top of that is just like an added layer. So like, for example, myself, I would never live in Texas. Texas is not an immigrant-friendly state. I think certain states don't offer in-state tuition to DACA people. So it's like, those are the things that people don't think about unless you're documented. Right. So you have to think about where you live. Because you mentioned in, about Texas and other different layers. And that is a lot to consider because everyone else maybe has financial challenges, but then you have to add on top of that these other considerations. You have created an Instagram account where you share your experience. And I'll have the link in the show notes Jen Daca Girl Saving Dollars. 
I'm curious of what led you to start that. I have a feeling I know, but what led you to start that? And what has been the response? Because some people might not be comfortable with sharing, you know, so tell us about that. Yeah, I was at a point in my life where I naturally just needed to get good with money. You know, like, I'm 27 years old, like, I needed to have some sort of savings. So like, I started following all these other financial accounts on Instagram and like, reading all these books and all these blogs, but like, obviously, it's not tailored to DACA recipients. So I felt like even though I was learning all these things, I wasn't sure if they were applicable to me. So I found myself like, constantly having to google is x y and z applicable for a DACA recipient and you kind of just fall in this google rabbit hole of like non-straightforward answers so that's what really led to the account it was a little bit more of like frustration with the fact that I didn't have answers for these things and I had to like do an extra step of research so I wanted to just kind of document my experience with money as a DACA recipient, and then highlight the stories of other people as immigrants and their relationship with money. So for example, right now I'm at a point where I'm learning about 401ks and investing, and a lot of DACA recipients didn't even know that was an option for them. So things like that. I love that. Now for that, I'm going to call it DACA Reina or Reina, because I know we're all not mujeres listening. I see you. Hombres, for that DACA Reina Rey that is listening at this very moment, what would you say are your best dinero tips? I know this has been a journey for you, but what would you say are your best dinero tips to help them navigate being DACA? Because you have been doing the work of of searching and when there's financial guidance, does this apply to DACA? How does this apply to DACA? So tell us what would be your best dinero tips. I mean, it's not really so specific as to money. It's more so just like in general. I think the key to navigating DACA is being willing to be open about your status and trying to find that community that will support you and will perhaps lead you to the right resources. So I think the number one step as a DACA recipient is just being able to to talk about it openly and being able to go to someone like, hey, I'm DACA, can you please help me out? Powerful. Jen, there's so many other questions that we want to ask you, but we're going to wrap it up. I really appreciate you being here. I know this isn't always easy, but you're here and I appreciate you sharing your journey and sharing your tips, your story, because it's so much needed. So Jen, keep doing what you're doing. I love everything that you're doing. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What did you think? I really enjoyed this conversation with Jen, not only because she's my tocaya, since we have the same name, she's from Colombia, but she really, for me, has been an inspiration. Now, I know that I have had privilege being born in Colombia. I was born to an American citizen, which put me with American citizenship 
from the day that I was born. So I didn't have an immigration status. I didn't have to immigrate to the US. I had someone already that knew the system in the US, the financial system and so forth. I had that. I had that in my dad. So I have had that privilege and hearing stories like Jen's and others that we have heard on this podcast really inspires me and I'm always always learning. So I appreciate you, Jen, for being with us today. To connect with Jen, you can go over to Instagram and look for DACA Girl Saving Dollars, without the R, dollars, D-O-L-L-A-S. I will have that link in the show notes or that handle in the today's show notes because you definitely want to really follow her as she is very transparent and she shares her journey as a DACA recipient. If you are a DACA recipient or if you know someone that is a DACA recipient, I would definitely tell them about her. I would definitely tell that person about this episode because they may be struggling. They may be having a challenge in life that hearing Jen's story is only going to inspire them. So I definitely encourage that. I also encourage you, if you haven't done so already, this podcast is available everywhere. (laughs) It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, literally uh, everywhere that you can imagine that you listen to podcasts. And on those apps, there's either a plus button or a follow button. And I encourage you to hit that plus button or follow button. What does that do? That literally tells that app that you want to listen to this podcast. And once new episodes are released, they will automatically be there for you instead of you searching for them. So I definitely encourage to follow this podcast on whatever app that you are listening from. So again, it could be a plus sign, it could be a follow sign, depending on where you're listening to. I would definitely appreciate that because what happens too is that amplifies the podcast in a way, meaning the more follows and the more pluses, you know, the more follows of the podcast, it just shows that app, hey, (laughs) we want to listen to this podcast. And that will just amplify this podcast. And I would appreciate it. Now next week, you will get to meet a special guest or re-meet this guest, Beatriz Acevedo, the CEO of SUMA. And if you were a part or an attendee for our Financially Strong Latina event series, you have already met her. She was one of the speakers, and we have her on the podcast. We are able to have her on the podcast. We'll get to know more about her next week. So be prepared. She is just an amazing person, and I can't wait for you to hear that episode. That is it. Eso es todo. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in to today's show. You can check out today's show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 261. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you. 
And so should you. If you love this podcast, love this episode, I would love it if you share it with someone you care about. You never know what exactly that person is going through. And the simple act of sharing can change the direction of their financial life for the better. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.